Welcome to the Brave Church Podcast. We are honored you've chosen to listen and pray you're blessed by this talk. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit bravechurch.org. Man, oh man, the last time I spoke, one of the first times I spoke here at Brave, um, I spoke about the topics of, of sex. So don't worry, we've got that one out of the way. We're leaving that one in 2016, okay? Thankfully, all right? Um, but how awesome it is it that all of you are here on the first day of 2017? I want to give y'all a round of applause for that. Man, it just shows you the people that are hungry for what 2017 has to offer. You know, to come to this is a bold state, whether you know or realize it or not, this is a bold statement for all of us to be here right now um, while some people are still sleeping, right? <laughs> some people are still. Um, I, I thought it was going to be me, Josh, John, the two Johns in the booth, and then uh, Pastor Samuel. So I'm, I'm, ex- I'm glad. I'm excited. But 2016, some interesting things happened in 2016, right? Yeah. Some very interesting things. Zika virus, right? Zika virus. David Bowie passed away in 2016. The Warriors lost to the Cavaliers in the finals in 2016. A lot of sad faces on that one. I, man. Prince died. Brexit. I mean, what, what is, I don't even, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one. Hillary Clinton became the first woman nominated by a major U.S. party for president. And who could forget the creepy clowns? Right? Do you guys remember? Some of, some of you are like, what are the creepy clowns? The Chicago Cubs came back to beat the Cleveland Indians in game seven. I had to throw that one in there for my boy, Regis. I know he's smiling. He's smiling back there. I don't, y'all don't, okay. See you, Regis. And my car died in 2016. <laughs> I knew it was time to get a new car when we pulled up into the In-N-Out drive-thru and the smoke was billowing from my muffler into the drive-thru and gagging whoever was driving my car. It was time for me to get a new vehicle. Um, even here at Brave, we had some new things. Praise God, new things happen here at Brave. We got a new roof, right? Praise God. As Samuel said earlier, a new kids director. My wife became the kids director. Um, a new family room. We have a new family room in the back. Um, new worship pastor. We got new floors in, uh, in, the, in the offices and back here in the green room. Um, we even got a tiny house. All right. I know not everybody's going to get that one, but, and Pastor Samuel got married. How awesome is that? Let's get, and Marcy got married also. They were to each other, just in case you didn't know those people. But who would have thought all those things were going to happen in 2016? You know, um, who would have thought, who What's going to happen in 2017? There was a time in my life where I would, you know, I would write down some goals and I would just get ready for my new beginning and just hope those goals would happen. That's what I would do. That's what I would spend my New Year's Eve doing, writing goals. And I'm here to tell you that that's not always the right way to just jump into a new year, just to write goals, right? We actually have to execute some of those goals, just like New Year's resolutions, right? How many of you guys are still on doing New Year's resolutions? Few. Okay. Are you, I want to make sure you're committed. Make sure you're committing to those new year's resolutions. Right. But uh, I'm 37 years old. Some of you may be thinking, well, 
Uh, I'm going to talk about new beginnings. What authority or uh, what, do, what do I have to talk to you? I'm 37. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have experienced a lot more things than I have that are older than me, that are younger than me. But I just want to run down my list of things that kind of give me a little bit of authority, I would, I'm going to say. I lived on two continents, and I have dual citizenship. I've learned to speak three languages. I've lived in three very different areas of the country, the Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and the Bay Area. I've played for three NFL teams, the Eagles, Bengals, and the Raiders. Q, Raiders fans. I've moved eight times in ten years. I've had the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. And I've had the opportunity to learn a lot of new things from my new beginnings. And I guarantee you that some of the things that I share will resonate deeply um, with your own story, whether it was in 2016 or, or prior. Um, 2017, it's in your hand. Everybody say, it's in your hand. hand. Everybody put up a fist like this. Put up a fist. Put it right here on your chin. Right here on your chin. Right here on chin. Now look to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, this is your chin. Okay? (laughs) This is your cheek. Okay? This is your chin. And this is... So whatever happens in my talk, just remember that's what you guys did, and you guys look silly before I look silly, okay? All right? But honestly, what I have to share with you, what I have to share with you is going to be so basic, so simple as something like that. It's about what's in your hand. And if you're not paying attention to the details, you you might just miss it. Okay? You ready? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time as we start this new year, Lord. We just, um, I thank you for every family in here. I, I pray for every, every family, everything that they're going through, Lord. I just pray for friends. I pray for people that we're going to meet. I pray for things that you're going to have us do in 2017. I just thank you for this opportunity to share what you put in me with, with my family. Um, and we just pray for a great day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that, saw that bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. I don't know about y'all, but if I, if I walk outside and I see a bush burning up, my first idea is not, hey, let me go over there and see what's, you know, what's going on with that bush. My first thought is, I'm, let me get out of there because I don't know what's going on with that bush. Is that thing going to explode or what? But Moses, he thought otherwise, right? In verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Has anybody ever read that part of the Bible before? That story in the Bible, I'm sure a few people. Why do you think Moses hid his face from God? Felt unworthy, right? That's, that's kind of one of my thoughts. He felt unworthy. Why? But why did he feel unworthy? 
His mother had a choice when he was a baby, either to keep him. There was a decree in the land that they lived in Egypt that every newborn boy was to be killed that was Israelite in the land of Egypt. That was a decree sent out by, by Pharaoh because he was afraid of the uprising of the Israelites, the possible uprising. And Moses' mother had a choice. She could either hold on to him and possibly one day have Moses being ripped out of, out of her arms, or she could abandon him down a river and hope for the best. Two great options, right? So Moses' mother abandoned him. So maybe he felt unworthy because that still lingered in his mind about being abandoned when he was younger. He may have been carrying around some of the guilt of living in the palace while his fellow Israelites were slaves and serving the Egyptians because Moses grew up in the palace. Maybe he felt guilty because after he was watching an Egyptian beat two Israelites, he wound up murdering the Egyptian. And then after that, maybe he felt unworthy because he became a fugitive and fled to Midian. Those may be some really good reasons to hide from God, right? The Lord said in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Is anybody thinking right now, Moses is probably thinking, I really shouldn't have checked out that bush, (laughs) right? But also, how can God use somebody that has a rap sheet like that? The conversation goes on between God and Moses, and we get to a point where God, again, he, he reveals that he's the great I am. And he also, um, he also says that it's Moses' job to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses pretty much says, I'm not that guy. You got the wrong guy, right? That's pretty much what he says. But how many of you know that God doesn't make mistakes? Turn to your neighbor and say, I know that God doesn't make mistakes. Come on, say it like you mean it. <laughs> oh, man. I got my kids in the front row, so it's funny to hear, it's funny to hear them. Um, so God, in the conversation between God and Moses, God asks Moses, what's in your hand? And let me let you on a little secret if you don't know this already. Okay, I'm sure some of you know this, but... For those of you who may be a little, I'm not going to say it's those of you who wrote, let me just stay off that topic. All right. <laughs> Anytime God asks us a question, it's not for his benefit, right? He's all knowing. He knows. He knows what the deal is, right? It's not like God doesn't know what's in Moses' hand. He wants Moses to understand what's in his hand. So when God asks, asks you that question, 
He wants to know if you know what he has put in your hand. So Moses replies, it's a staff. No duh, as we say in our household. Yes, it, it was a shepherd's staff. One of those staffs, it, it had, um, I guess the shepherd's staff had a little crook on the end so it could like help pull the sheep and push the sheep. And um, so he said, it's a staff, Lord. And God says, throw it down. And he throws it down. It becomes what? A snake, right? You guys know the story. Something dead that was, something was dead, then it came alive. Um, God says, pick it up. Moses picks, picks up this, the staff, right? Then God says, throw it, throw it down again, right? God's repeating, having him repeat it so he gets it, right? For those of you who have kids, it's like, or who have been a kid, you remember those times when your parents had to repeat something over and over to you again, right? God's making sure Moses gets this right now. All right, so he throws it down, it becomes a serpent. And here's a second tip for you, right? Right now, in a short period of time, Moses has witnessed two miracles already. The burning bush and the staff turning into a serpent. And there's a reason. God just doesn't do miracles just to do miracles, right? He does it to open people's eyes up. So there's, there's a reason. There's always a lesson behind it. And what was God trying to teach Moses? It's this, what's that? Trust, right? Trusting what God has given him to be a good steward. It's the same thing that God wants you to know about what's in your hand as you walk, run, or jog into 2017. The staff represented three things. The first thing the staff represented was his identity. It it represented who he was. Moses, he was a shepherd. For 40 years, he grew up in the palace learning how to be a somebody. He grew up in the palace in Pharaoh's home, one of the most wealthiest, strongest men in the land. Then he spent the next year, 40 years, being a fugitive and running from his past, his mistakes, running from his calling or the things that was something that was put in his hand trying to disappear. And then the last 40 years, he was working to be God somebody, understanding what he had in his hand. The staff represented his identity, who he was, the symbol of his job. I'm a shepherd. Second, it was not only a symbol of his identity, it was a symbol of his resources. Now, any shepherd in the day, you, could, you would know if he was wealthy or not by the amount of, she- of sheep that he had. So if he had a big flock, he was probably pretty wealthy. You know, in those days, they didn't have 401ks and portfolios and IRAs and bank accounts. No, your wealth was by what you had. And you, you could clearly see what Moses had. Know well the condition of your flock, it says in Proverbs, keeping good business records. The staff not only represented his identity, it represented his resources. Thirdly, the third thing it represents is his influence. Because what do you use a shepherd's staff in, in the fields? You use it to, like I said, move the sheep around. You use it to defend and influence others from trying to attack your sheep. It's, it's a, it represents influence, helps you move sheep from point A to point B. The, staff rep- the third thing was the staff represented influence. 
in 2010, I was playing with the Raiders, and I was going into my 10th year, and um, I had been captain, and I was a union rep for almost six years. Um, I'd done a lot of different things, uh, led Bible studies for for the team, led, led people, just led people to Jesus. And I was, I felt like I was in a roll, on a roll. Like, have you ever been in that situation like that where you were just rolling? Like things were just going good. And I see some heads nodding. I see you, doc. I see some heads nodding, you know, just rolling. And, uh, the thing is I had yet to fully understand and I'm still learning about what God has put in my hand. I made it to, to the last cuts, um, almost to last cuts, and out of nowhere, I got called, and I was sitting in the hot tub at the Raiders just trying to get these old bones at 31 years old, trying to get my legs working and get these old bone muscles moving, and I got uh, one of the young guys that did things for the coach. He called, he called me out of the hot tub and said, Coach wants to see you. Now, the, now when I say hot tub, like, the Raiders went through some changes over the last, you know, couple of years, right? Some good changes. But when I talking about this hot tub, it wasn't like a hot tub maybe that, you know, is that at your house. <laughs> but it was a hot tub. It had that scum on it. Like, have you ever been in a hot tub or seen a hot tub that had that scum that just, you just didn't want to go in, right? But, well, maybe you haven't. But for me, I was an old guy at 31, and I needed to get in that hot tub to get those muscles going and, and working. So I said to the guy, said, you could have at least got me out of the, got me before I went in the hot tub, man. So I went up to see coach and he said, he started going into this long spiel. Oh, I'm sorry. We, we had to make changes. This, I said, coach, I thank you very much for the opportunity to play for the Raiders. I wish you the best of luck. And I was ready to go on. I was ready to move on to the next, to the next stage of my life. Cause I had done two internships when I played in the NFL uh, at the U.S. Bank Arena and Eagles Ten Television Network. I had done some executive business programs at Wharton Business School and Harvard uh, at the Stanford Business School. I was ready for the next stage of my life. Some of the things during that first year, I, I was speaking at juvenile at different places. I started serving at uh, Santa Clara County Juvenile Hall and I thought I'd help my wife. Is there any husbands in here? I see a few husbands, right? You ever have a good idea, like you want to help your wife out with something, and that is not the thing that your wife, your wife just wants you to get out of the way, right? You guys have been in that situation before. Thank you, Josh, for, for your testimony. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But that's what I was starting to do, and I was starting to get in the way. I actually, I wouldn't say I was banned from the house at certain hours. But there was a certain point in time where I was supposed to be out of the house, okay? Because my wife was homeschooling our four children, still homeschooling, and she started homeschooling our four children at the time. But anyway, football was a big part of what I did for almost 20 years of my life. I'm 37 right now, so that's more than half of my life. I continued to work out, um, continued to work out in the hope that somebody would, would call me and nothing. I went into a mild depression. I didn't even really realize it until after the fact. I thought I'd prepare for this new beginning, but I wasn't ready. Until I had one of my mentors uh, who, was a, who came into my life in 2001 as a rookie uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles, Norris Williams. And he was in town 
for, for an event. Uh, he's a missionary. He does some work in the Middle East building leaders. And I never really understood what he did until he said, we need to sit down. I said, okay. It was like one of those authoritative, like, we need to sit down type you know, conversations. So I was like, okay, let's do it. So he knew I was going through some stuff. And um, I explained a little bit more about the rut that I was in. And maybe not in the same words, but something to the effect, he asked me, what's in your hands? 31 years old, didn't really have an understanding of what was in my hands. Over the next six hours, we prayed, we talked. I dug deep inside. In my past, everything I had gone through is from as early as I could remember, and I identified what was in my hands. I realized that my mission was to receive God's love, to share God's love, and to be a living example of his truth. Now, there's more to that, but that's the basic nitty-gritty down to it. I defined my core values at age 31. I finally defined my core values. It was about who I was in Christ and not who I was in football, my identity. I finally started to understand the power of identity, resources, and influence God has, had given me. I picked up my staff. No matter what new beginnings or new challenges, I had something that would help me in the sunshine and in the storms. Just like God had asked Moses, and Mr. Norris asked me, I ask you, what's in your hands? When God, when God calls out your name, are you afraid to look at him because of the things you've done wrong in your life or in the past or in 2016? Moses was abandoned in the first part of his life. Right? He was a murderer. He was a fugitive. And God still came after Moses to do great things. Romans 8.38 says, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, nor neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. As followers of Jesus, God's word says this in Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us? Have you put your staff on the shelf because of mistakes, bad choices, people, circumstances? Maybe achieving the desires of your heart turned out to be a bigger challenge than you had bargained for. And you were like, ah, let me just, let me come back to that. Maybe it's time to pick up your staff again. Maybe use it in a little bit different way than you initially intended. Because it's something that God has put in your hand. These are things, your influences, your resource, your identity, are things that God has put in your hand. In December, we, uh, we, we kicked off the 90-90-90 pledge, right? Maybe your, maybe your staff is praying 90 minutes a week in your neighborhood. Maybe dusting off your staff means that you're volunteering in the community and giving 90 minutes in your community or even here at Brave Church. Or maybe using your staff is giving more of your resources 
My wife, she loves planning parties, and I'm going to toot her horn. She's a great party planner. Um, she might, don't go all go run to her after. She's very expensive, okay? I just want to let y'all know. <laughs> but she has the gift of hospitality. She's super creative, and by serving Brave Church as a kids director, she didn't know it was, was going to happen, but she has the opportunity to plan parties and to do something that she loves doing. So something that didn't initially seem like it was part of her wheelhouse led her to what she loves to do. And this just happened by giving what was in her hands to God and to her church. 2017, it's in your hands. God wants you to recognize your identity, who you are, your resources, what you have, and your influence and what you're doing with it. And he wants you to glorify his name and lead people to Jesus with what's in your hand. This summer, I started thinking about the future and what was in store. We're from the East Coast. We've been, we just moved here in 2007. I still feel like we just moved here. That's, that's almost 10 years ago. But, um, but I'm thinking about where and how we're going to use the things that God has given us. What's the long-term play? I started thinking about, am I going to get my master's? Am I going to get my MBA? I went back into what, was, what I knew was in my hand um, as I was contemplating this new beginning. Who am I? What skills do I have? What I've been working on in the last six years of my life. I love working with, with young people, developing young people, helping them discover their purpose, their passion. I enjoy building teams, teams of people to accomplish a common goal. I thought about the income and resources that I've attained. And I'm not just talking about the money. I'm talking about the people that are in my life. I get to meet a lot of cool people in the things that I do. I travel the country speaking on behalf of the NFL and some other things. And the people that I met, there was one company that really stood out to me. And I thought about how the pursuit of the opportunity with this company, I could, sh- could continue to grow um, roots deep in a community And my family could continue to serve, to give back to others, to be a light in the community for God's kingdom. So I went for it with my staff in hand. All right, I love this story. And all athletes go through it. After your final game, it can be very difficult for a pro athlete to transition to life off the field. One former Raider who is used to catching touchdowns is now running routes in the restaurant business. How you doing, ma'am? We have a uh, Chick-fil-A sandwich meal, no pickles. With a cherry Coke. Wait a minute. Isn't that former tight end Tony Stewart? Yeah, there's been plenty of times people say, I know you from somewhere. And I'm like, oh, really? I grew up in Pennsylvania. You know, I kind of play it off a little bit. But at the end of the conversation, I usually say, you know what? I played 10 years in the NFL. And, you know, I'm looking for my next opportunity on this journey. He's even overheard his fellow employees say, who is this big guy? There was a little whisper. And he said, wait. Tony played in the NFL, and he was—he turned like beet red, as red as his shirt. There you go. That one's done, too. Tony and his family stayed in the Bay Area after he retired six years ago. He's been working with his nonprofit foundation, Beyond the Locker, which teaches self-awareness, life skills, and leadership to high school students. I want to continue to build roots deep in the community. I want to continue to see my kids grow, continue to provide for my family, and Um, this opportunity came up. Through his foundation, he met Dan Cozen, owner of the Chick-fil-A in Fremont. As I met Tony, just impressed with his humility, and uh, and we sat down and talked, and I said, hey, you need to get in the trenches and see if this is for you. 
And so uh, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I want to do it. So, yeah, not a, lot of, not a lot of people certainly know it's his background that I know of that are doing this. But I was just impressed with his willingness to dive in and, and like you said, do the dirty work. Keep those fries coming. Tony's interested in his own franchise, so what better way to learn the business than from the ground up? His skills as an athlete have carried over. As a football player, all I know is to get down into the, the nitty-gritty, to the dirty-dirty, right? So I said, okay, the best way that I can know how, you know, a, a restaurant works is to work in a restaurant. Teamwork makes the dream work, right? Hopefully this hard work all will right. result in his own franchise one day. Go. If down the line, if that opportunity presents itself, that's, that would be awesome. Michaela? All right, now education is very important, but this is what sports offer. I think every person, hold on, every person should work in the food industry. That's not music worthy yet. I was just, that's a, that's a, that's a little side note real right there. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. But uh, it could end in three weeks um, when I go to Chick-fil-A headquarters in Atlanta uh, to, for my next part of my interview. It could end in three weeks. Um, it could end meaning I don't get a restaurant. It could end meaning I, I'm on my way to getting my restaurant. So whether or not I, I, whether or not I get there, it's 2017. I know what's in my hand. Whether I go on to be an operator and get to influence the community in a different way, build teams, pour into young people, you know, give Chick-fil-A sandwiches to Brave Church, whatever it is. I know what's in my hand. Any new beginning comes my way, I'll be ready to take on the challenge with my staff in hand. 2017, it's in your hands. I'm not here to tell you that everything that you're hoping for, that you're wishing for is going to come to fruition. I'm not here to tell you that you're going to be a success in everything that you're going to do. But God has given you tools and a mission to complete. It's in your hands. Some of you may be like, I'm not really sure what's in my hands. And you shut me out from the very beginning. There's some really cool core classes coming up here at Brave in the next few months. One is called Discovering Your Purpose. Discovering Your Purpose will help you learn how you can use God's gifts, passions, abilities, personality. Use what's in your hands to help others find and follow Jesus. Living the Mission is another core class will help you discover your calling, learn to share your story, and how to impact the world around you with God's love, with what God has given you in your hands. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Some of us, and I'm going to put myself in this category, we discover what our, what's in our hands and we haven't moved forward. You haven't stewarded your influence the correct way because you're holding on too tight. Lay it down. And I'm not saying lay it down and leave it there. 
I'm saying let it down, let it go, and let God show you what to do with it. That means you got to pray about it. you got to have others pray for you about it. You can't isolate yourself because you're the only one who's going through something that never somebody has never gone through. You've got to lean on your community. What have you been doing with what you've been given? It's just like the parable of the talents. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. So the question is, are you ready to pick up your staff? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are you are good. You have always been good. You will always be good. In the midst of what we've done, what we haven't done, what's been done to us, what hasn't been done to us, we can look up to you and know that you are our strong tower. You are the rock. You are the prince of peace. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are a provider. You are a healer. You are a mighty God. We thank you for the things that you've put in our hands. Help us to be good stewards of what you've given us. Help us to realize that just because it didn't start out the way we wanted it to, doesn't mean it can't end the way you intended it to. We thank you for the many blessings. We thank you that we were able to gather here in your presence on January 1st, 2017. We pray, Lord, that you are honored by our thoughts, our actions, our deeds in 2017. We thank you for being with us every step of the way. We thank you for revealing yourself as we walk. We thank you for what's in our hands. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. We all said, amen.